Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features me, Victoria Adams, formerly Victoria Giganti, and I'm a 2004 graduate from the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. In this episode, I dive deep into why the majority of my time at the academy and in the military was spent living in survival mode and how I was eventually able to turn my struggles at the academy into the strong foundation necessary to build a life in which I'm now thriving. As a side note, when you hear my story, you'll understand why I have very few photos from my time both at the academy and in the military. If you visit the show notes page, however, you'll get to see the one fun photo someone sent to me many years after graduation. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. If you've listened to past episodes, you've probably heard bits and pieces of my story kind of splattered throughout other interviews. Um, But this is going to be, I guess, my formal introduction to all of you. So I do have a general flow of questions, which I'm sure you have heard if you've listened to past episodes. So I will stick to that general flow um, in this episode when we're talking about my story. But here we go. Um, The first question I would ask is, can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Uh, I am originally from New York, actually on Long Island. I currently live in Tucson, Arizona. I went to the United States Merchant Marine Academy, and I graduated in 2004. The next question would be, to start, can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today? I am the mother to my beautiful daughter and the wife to my wonderful husband, and I have been a counselor and a coach for over 15 years, working with people all over the world, virtually, with everything from career to divorce to body image issues, you name it. I hold a double master's in psychological counseling from Columbia University. I'm a certified career counselor, yoga therapist. Um, I'm, I've also been the blog managing editor at the oldest psychology website on the internet. I'm also always doing a bunch of other side things, which I'll tell you about towards the end of this podcast. So that's who I am today. So the next question is, let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college, uh, what made you choose a service academy and what made you specifically choose the United States Merchant Marine Academy? For me, uh, I actually have to go like way back to the beginning. I'm going to go all the way back to the day I was born. So I was born with a really rare heart condition. And they didn't know what was wrong with me for many years because the heart condition that I was born with at that time, it really wasn't seen in little babies. It was only seen in adults. So they didn't even know to look for what my issue was. Um, And the way this heart condition manifested itself would be that like my heart would beat sometimes upwards of 500 beats per minute. And also a side effect of this heart condition is that I had severe asthma. I'm talking severe asthma. Like I couldn't walk across the street without needing a nebulizer. A nebulizer is one of those big breathing machines. I couldn't even just use one of those little like puff spray things because I was allergic to that. (laughs) So my whole childhood, really the messaging I was given was that there was something wrong with me. 
And if you think about the psychology of a kid with those types of issues, like breathing and your heart, those are two things that as adults, we just take that for granted. And even as a little kid, I can remember feeling out of control because I was out of control. My heart rate was out of my control. My breathing was out of my control. And as a result, I felt out of control. And I also felt really angry, really angry. Um, Angry that I had to wear a heart rate monitor to school. Angry that I had to take pills, like medication, multiple times a day. There were even times as a kid where I would take my pill, my bottle of pills and like throw them in the sink so they would dissolve. And I'd be like, I don't need these. <laughs> like, like, screw you doctors. Uh, I know better about my body. Um, but the truth is like my heart really was out of control and all these other side effects were occurring as a result. So I can remember as a kid laying in bed and just going through my body from the tips of my toes to the top of my head and just tearing every aspect of it apart. I had flat feet, I had breathing issues, I had curly frizzy hair. Everything about my body really angered me and infuriated me. And I just didn't understand why this was, this was what my life was. I felt just trapped. I remember a lot of times at night just laying down and looking at the stars and I became enamored with the sky because it felt like gosh like there's so much more out there like this can't be it it was like my escape like looking up at the at the stars in the sky and the moon and um so I got it in my head that I wanted to become an astronaut that was the plan and I remember talking to my dad about going to space camp and uh (laughs) they flat out were like absolutely not to the surprise of nobody probably listening um but really the issue was actually my asthma not my heart condition and that was just infuriating even more infuriating than if they had told me it was because of my heart but they told me it was because of my asthma so of course that just made me more angry and i'm like no 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 i'm gonna find a way to become an astronaut So this was right before high school that this whole exploration of like, I want to be an astronaut happened. And so I get into high school and I make two friends. One friend's going to the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy and one friend is going to the U.S. Naval Academy. And over the years, they were older than me. And I started telling them that I want to be an astronaut. And they're like, well, you know, the best way to become an astronaut is to become a pilot. And I was like, oh, interesting. So I started exploring that. And of course, naturally, um, I was like the Air Force Academy, right? Like become a pilot, go to the Air Force Academy. Um, Because they were like introducing this concept of military academies to me. And I was very drawn to that. Um, One of the major reasons I was really drawn to it was because I would see these images of people like the camaraderie and the sense of like, you know, there's a team and also the sense of like being physically active Um, and just having a group of people around you that support you. And also (laughs) it would get me to be a pilot, which would get me to be an astronaut. So in my sophomore year, I went like all in to looking at the academies and I flew out to the Air Force Academy. But when I got to the Air Force Academy, I just didn't like it. Um, To be honest, I think the reason I didn't like it was because 
I felt really intimidated. I just remember thinking, these people are so big. Like <laughs> the men were so tall. They were so tall, which is strange for me to say because my brother is 6'11". But it was just like collectively, the everybody was so confident and tall and like athletic. And here I am, a sophomore, unable to do any sports, really unathletic. Um, and I just felt very intimidated. But luckily, I found out on that visit that actually a better way to become an astronaut is to go Navy flight. So that was like, well, hey, my friend goes to the Naval Academy. I should explore the Naval Academy. So then I went to the Naval Academy and <laughs> I did not like the Naval Academy. I got there and again, here was the feeling that I got from the Naval Academy. Everybody there was so confident. It was like they all knew they belonged there and it felt like a fraternity. It felt like everybody there was like at the same time serious and leadership, but also fun. And they all, it just, it wasn't me. Like I'm a little more reserved, a little more introverted. And you know, like, and again, at that time, really insecure. So it was like way too much for me. Um, so then I felt like, well, now I don't know what to do. Luckily <laughs> at this time, my parents, uh, we took a trip to Arizona and they, they put me on a little soaring thing, like a, where I could experience what it's like to soar, which is flying. Anyway, I went up in this little aircraft and I got so sick. I got so motion sick that I was like, there's no way I don't even, I don't want to fly. Like, there's no way I want to fly. I don't know how I'd even become an astronaut. Like, this is horrible. But at this point, I was dead set on going to a military academy. I, there was no changing my mind because... Anytime I'd think about any other option, I just would cringe. And I remember writing down this like journal entry, you know, like, I don't know what I want, but I definitely know what I don't want. And I was like, I don't want to marry a local cop or a local firefighter because that's what everybody on Long Island does. I don't want to study business and I don't want to live on Long Island. So I felt like a military academy really checked all those boxes, right? And because it was fully paid for, there was nothing my parents could say about it. And by the way, they were supportive in the sense that they would take me to the academies and explore them, but they really didn't want me to go there. Uh, they were going to miss me, quite frankly. That's really what it was. Uh, five kids, the other four stayed within like five miles of my parents. So you know, here I am, the baby, the one with all the problems. The last thing they want is to see me join the military, right? But they were supportive in their own ways, even though they gave me a little bit of a hard time. They still obviously were willing to take me places and entertain my, you know, these crazy ideas of camaraderie and wanting to join the military and all this stuff. Now, in high school, I was very introverted. So um, I really didn't tell them what my plans were or what was going on in my head. They just knew that I was like obsessed with reading the handbooks for all of these, <laughs> for all the academies. So anyway, Air Force was out, Navy was out, astronaut was out, but I still wanted to go into the military. And I really wasn't, I really did not want to look at the Merchant Marine Academy at all because I was like, ships are dirty. I don't want to sail on a ship. So I looked at West Point. I actually really liked West Point. I felt like everyone here is really reserved. <laughs> that was, they're so serious. That was like what I felt and it totally resonated with me. So I was considering West Point. I went to the Coast Guard Academy. 
I just didn't connect with the Coast Guard Academy. It wasn't really anything specific. Um, I just didn't get a good first impression and what it had to offer just wasn't really what I was thinking in my head. I still hadn't looked at the Merchant Marine Academy. Finally, uh, my best friend at the time was like, you know, you should really just go check out the Merchant Marine Academy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're probably right. I should probably just go check it out. So I did. And the minute I walked on that campus, I was like, oh yeah, this is where I'm going. Everything about it, the fact that it was a tiny school, the view over the Long Island Sound was gorgeous. Um, everyone was so friendly. Uh, the people, the students were all just a little bit more, a little less intimidating to me. Actually, I'll tell you this. I was like, these men are so short here. That was actually a, like a sticking point for me because I'm a tall person. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, that's a side note. Um, but so anyway, it just felt like home. I felt really connected to it. And that became like every other academy fell off the radar at that point. Uh, West Point became my second option uh, if I if I had had the ability to get two nominations, I was going to attempt to put one in at West Point, but I really, the focus was the Merchant Marine Academy. So I did two overnights there. Um, I had a blast. Uh, everything about it made me feel like nervous and, exhil and exhilarated at the same time, like all this energy around it. I literally read the handbook like 97,000 times. And I think I called the admissions office multiple times a day every day for like over a year and a half <laughs> so and i'll tell you why in a second so my first visit to the academy again it was the end of my sophomore year that i started exploring all this stuff so um i remember sitting with the admissions counselor at the merchant marine academy and i said to him you know uh i ran through my academics you know i didn't play a sport because again the asthma and the heart condition and when he asked me about medical and I started looking into the medical issue, yeah, that's when it became pretty clear that I'm going to have an issue, right? So the admissions counselor tells me, yeah, there's no way. Like, you're going to have to get a medical waiver. And so, again, this was sophomore year. And now I get it in my head that, well, if I can't go to the Merchant Marine Academy with a heart condition, then I'm going to get rid of my heart condition. And right at that time, they came out with this experimental procedure for the heart condition that I had. And I told my parents, I want to get this procedure. I want to get heart surgery. So at the beginning of my junior year, I got this heart procedure. And then immediately following that, I joined the cross country team. And the point of joining the cross country team was so that I could quit asthma. This is what I told myself. I was going to quit asthma. And I went on this journey, everything with the intention of making myself medically qualified to get into an academy. So literally every day I would go out for a run <laughs> and every day I would just go a little bit further. And every day, like the first day I ran down the block and I landed on the ground <laughs> and just refused to use my inhaler. Pretty sad, but I was determined. And it worked. So I, over time, my lungs expanded enough so that I could run. So by the time my senior year came in high school, I felt ready to go. I had the grades. I had been running cross country now for um, two, it, it would have been two seasons by the end of my senior year. Uh, you know, and I was in a, all a bunch of other clubs already uh, that I was leading 
So I had the leadership, I had the SAT scores, I had everything I needed. So I applied. And in October of my senior year, I got an acceptance letter to the United States Merchant Marine Academy. And to the surprise of nobody, in February, I got rejected medically. So there was no way I was going to let that be the final answer. So I went on a mission. And I'm talking like I called Dodmerb, I called Bumed, I called all the people I shouldn't have called. I mean, I got personal numbers of people. I was calling the admissions. I don't recommend you do that, by the way. I was calling the admissions office um, every single day, multiple times a day, just trying to find answers, trying to figure out like what I could do to reassure them that I had done the work to be okay what I eventually ended up doing was getting a bunch of other tests, um, getting several notes from different cardiologists saying that like this heart condition was corrected. Um, I went to my own uh, pulmonologist and did all these stress tests and running tests. I just was like on a mission to get accepted. And like the last day that they were sending out acceptances, I get a phone call from the now person who was like kind of my friend at the Merchant Marine Academy <laughs> in the admissions office. Um, and she called me directly and she's like, you got in. And uh, I think I, I, I mean, I remember exactly where I was and I, uh, I just started like hyperventilating actually a little bit <laughs> because I, I wanted it so bad because I wanted to prove that there was nothing wrong with me. And I just wanted people to believe that and to believe in me. So I got in and that was it. And, you know, I think I got so caught up in this process of proving that I was medically qualified for the Merchant Marine Academy that I really didn't think through other parts of the plan, also known as what will I be studying? Do I like ships? Um, what will life be like after I graduate? I did have a concept of seer and I, I, that was a draw for me. Um, but I really didn't think much beyond like academy life, what my options would be and what that would be like. Because remember, the um, whole astronaut thing was off the table. Uh, the only other thing that I was interested in was going into psychology. For my class, I know the commitment has changed, but when I graduated, I knew working shoreside would be an option, but I didn't see how psychology would factor into that in any way so I was I guess I just kind of like ignored that whole piece since I was really caught up in just proving that I was medically fit so the next question if you had to sum up your time at the academy in one word what would it be and for me that word would be isolating not in a negative way not in a positive way just in a way like just in a reality like that just is what it is. It was isolating for me, very isolating. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> so when I got to the academy, I can remember the first day so vividly. It was a beautiful day and my parents drove me because Kings Point was actually only 45 minutes from my house. And I remember I started crying in the car and I think my parents thought I was crying because I was afraid or I was going to miss them. And yeah, I mean, that both, both of those things were true a little bit, <laughs> of course. But really, I was crying because I had this perspective that I just saw the trickle effect of this decision to go to a federal service academy. 
I knew I was making a decision that would permanently alter my relationships with my family and uh, my friends for the rest of my life. And that this was the start of something big and new that no one in my life had embarked on. No one in my family was in the military. Um, So this was really stepping outside of what was familiar to anyone in my life. I remember that, you know, I had my little short haircut. I had cut my hair from like down to my butt all the way up to my my ears. Um, I remember I was wearing like khaki shorts and uh, a little button down shirt. And, you know, it was, you know, the whole you go in, you get you get your company assigned and you get all your gear and you get sent to your room. But really the thing I remember the most was lunch. So the whole regiment, like your first kind of introduction to the regiment is that you go to a lunch, a big regimental lunch. And, you know, I'm nervous. I'm sitting on the edge of my chair and they were serving cheeseburgers and they put the cheeseburgers down in front of us and everybody's like taking their servings and, I remember putting a cheeseburger on my plate and I remember looking at it and, you know, everyone's yelling at you to to eat and you're like staring at your plate and people are screaming. And in that moment, something came over me where I realized no matter what I do, right or wrong, I'm going to get in trouble, right? And I don't want to eat this cheeseburger and I'm going to do what I want. So I didn't eat it. And... I remember at the time, like the, um, the, the, the midshipmen that were yelling at me, the drill instructors, they looked at each other and they're like, oh, she's one of those. And I didn't know what she meant by that. But turns out later on, I find out that like eating issues are a huge, a huge issue at federal service academies. I didn't know that until much later. But for me, all it was was in that moment, here I was for the first time, which is kind of ironic. I'm in the military where they're they're supposedly controlling everything and you're supposed to fall into their system and I'm feeling totally liberated by the fact that I don't really have to do anything like I don't have to eat this I don't want to eat this and I felt in control so (laughs) and that's that's a sense of control that I had not felt because this whole journey up until that point made me feel completely out of my control and here I was I'd finally made it And now it was my turn to make a decision. And the decision I was making was I'm not going to eat that cheeseburger. And that set off many years of completely dysfunctional eating, total survival mode and isolation. Isolation because my dysfunction became how can I stay in control within a system that thinks that's controlling you? (laughs) So... So in order to do that, you isolate yourself like so that I could eat the way I wanted to eat, so that I could run the way I wanted to run, when I wanted to run, so that I could study the way I wanted to study, sleep the way I wanted to sleep. Um, And it also caused a lot of tension with a lot of women, um, especially my roommate, because in order to maintain that sense of control, I had to you know, behave certain ways. And it was never anything malicious or malice, but it definitely creates tension. And so I said no to a lot of things. I isolated myself a lot and I missed out on a lot of opportunities, a lot of friendships. I had a great fear that my asthma would come back. Um, So the whole time I was essentially running from this idea that I 
I might somehow like they might find me out like I might have this issue again um, it just all became super dysfunctional um, I'm very grateful to this day for the fact that there was Navy weight standards um, because had there not been uh, my weight probably would have been who knows how low it would have gotten I maintained my weight at the lowest possible weight standard for my height and I was actually grateful because they had my height measured at 5'8", and I was actually 5'9", which meant that I could be slightly less. And I took that, and I was that lower number. Everything was just out of fear. Even my running was like, how can I maintain that number on the scale? So when I think back to Indoc, what I can tell you is that um, I lost 15 pounds in two weeks. I can tell you that by the middle of my first trimester, I had lost 30 pounds. Um, I ran cross country for the cross country team. I eventually became captain. Um, but that was just a way to fuel my dysfunction. I had multiple dysfunctional relationships at the Academy. Uh, the last one being with my eventual first husband, um, because I would isolate myself from all the, from most people, but I would hone in on having a relationship with one person. And a lot of my time and energy and effort was spent on managing that relationship um, and trying to you know, feel validated from that relationship. Just not a healthy situation. So, so that being said, um, so I wanna be clear here, and I think this is a really good point to stop and to talk about my highlights at the Academy because I really love the Merchant Marine Academy. I am so grateful I went there. I loved my time there. I have some of my closest friends uh, still to this day are from the Merchant Marine Academy. There were definitely some highlights for sure. And what those highlights looked like for me um, were, okay, so uh, I decided to become a drill instructor and I became a drill instructor because of my now ex-husband. Um, he wanted to be a drill instructor and what you do when you are in a dysfunctional relationship is you just kind of go along for the ride for certain things and you agree to certain things. And um, But I actually am very grateful for that because that pushed me in ways that I just was not prepared for and it was really good growth for me. Um, having to yell at people that aren't really doing anything wrong. <laughs> um, that was, it was just a really good way for me to learn how to express myself. Um, it also gave me a confidence in a lot of different things, confidence in my ability to run, confidence in, in just, just confidence in general as a leader. Um, so being a drill instructor was actually like a really huge highlight and something I look back on, uh, with a lot of good memories. Also, you know, while I was isolated, I really loved my classmates. And the way I did try to connect with them was by by being helpful academically. It was the one thing uh, that I, you, you know, I, I think I thrived at was being a good student. And academics do not come easy for me. Uh, so King's Point was my element because I knew how to make killer study guides <laughs> and I knew how to like sit with the teacher for hours on end and ask a million questions. I knew how to be a student and I was good at it. And I, um, 
I, I didn't mind helping anybody. And I think I like to believe that my classmates appreciated that. And as a result, I, I had a lot of good, I did have good friends because of that part of things, because academically people struggle at academies and I tried to help as best I could. And that actually, I, I really take a lot of pride in that because, um, because it was a lot of hard work, <laughs> which leads me to my next highlight, which was passing license on the first shot. I can honestly say it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And I just gave birth to a baby naturally and it rivals that. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of confidence, so it didn't matter how much I studied. I never felt prepared. <laughs> so, um, but passing everything at once really proved to me that I put the time in and um, I graduated like the first female in my class. Um, just these things were just little things that made me feel like I had really accomplished something when I graduated. And that felt amazing. Seer was definitely a highlight. Uh, I loved traveling to South Africa, going over the equator, um, the nighttime sky. Because remember, I was obsessed with the nighttime sky. And it just doesn't get any better than when you're in the middle of the ocean. It, it was amazing and I loved learning navigation and how to navigate by the stars and the sky and the sun and the moon and I loved seeing pods of whales and dolphins jumping off the bow and and I had a chief engineer who like taught me how to weld and I thought that was like the coolest thing ever so Seer was great but if we're going to talk about low lights at the academy um I was extremely seasick so that on top of eating a certain way and refusing to eat certain things definitely was a recipe for disaster um i was seasick yet i somehow found a way to drag an old stationary bike out of the closet on a ship and you know i couldn't go to work but i could get on that stationary bike for 30 minutes and get a workout in and then go pass out because i was so seasick so just very dysfunctional um I, you know, when you have those kinds of eating issues, you label certain things safe and certain things not safe. Uh, so I ate a lot of white rice and there was a time where my weight got so low that I was eating like just ice cream, um, not to gain weight, but it was the only thing I could stomach between. So it was like being seasick, but trying to maintain this weight, but understanding that I needed to maintain a certain weight. So it was all this dysfunction and so much time and energy and effort going into maintaining this sense of control. And again, I missed out on a lot of experiences as a result. I also got into a little bit of this like weird binge habit where like I'd go into port and like totally binge like crazy because I hadn't been eating at sea. Um, and then I'd come back and um, just go back into this dysfunctional eating pattern on the ship. And anyway, by the time I got back from my first sea year, I was way below weight standards. I immediately went to a nutritionist um, because for me, it was about control. I had locked in on that number, the Navy standard. And for the next several months, it became about not getting kicked out of the academy, you know, and, and trying to get my weight back up to that lowest point, which is hard mentally because, you know, when you're in that type of psychology, it's easy to go down. It's not easy to go up. But I also was geared towards health even then. Like, uh, so I kind of knew that I was approaching a very dangerous, dangerous weight. So it was just, but it was so hard. It was so hard to incorporate things back into my diet and to have to gain that weight back. But I really didn't want to get kicked out. So I did it, but it was a battle. And, you know, I guess a highlight would be that my friends 
at the academy really stepped up to the plate and would, would vouch for me. Um, the superintendent vouched for me. So that was a huge, that was definitely a huge highlight for me. Um, but a low light was that I was the only female at, on this ship and uh, on this first ship and um, definitely dealt with some, you know, sexual harassment. Uh, at that time, I just wasn't uh, in tune with that side of my body at all. So I think I just felt uncomfortable in general. So I just shut it down and kept distance from the people that were doing that. And I think they just got the message because of that. I mean, thank God it didn't go beyond that. But I definitely did experience that. It made me uncomfortable. One of the people that did that was like right across the hallway from me on my ship. So every time I went back to my room, I'd like hide. He started calling my room. So that was a little uncomfortable, but I really only experienced that on one ship. And it just kind of got squashed. So I'm actually a little grateful for that. At least it wasn't, it could have gotten way worse. Um, another thing is that 9-11 occurred while I was at the academy. So this was actually right before my first year. I was in economics class when it happened. And if you've ever been to the Merchant Marine Academy, you'll know that you can see the New York City skyline from the campus. I remember going out to the waterfront and I could see the the twin towers like burning in front of me across the long island sound and uh gosh i remember i was talking to my mom on the phone and you know there's a little bit of a delay and i said to her oh my gosh mom the building's falling and she goes no it's not i'm watching it on tv and i'm like no it's falling i'm watching it like in front of my eyes and with that, you know, the delay had elapsed and she was like, oh my gosh, you're right. It's falling. And I'm like, yeah, I'm watching it. So the whole campus went on lockdown. Um, that was a really rough time. Like I said, I'm from New York. So I know a lot of NYPD cops. I know a lot of FDNY firefighters. My family knew people that worked in the trade center. Um, to make matters worse, uh, like within a month, I was had to board a board a plane and board a ship for the first time and um, I had to fly in my military uniform and if you can remember back then at that time the climate after 9-11 was you know with military it was kind of like uh just everybody was on edge and I could feel that and I stood out like a sore thumb trying to travel with my sextant which is like this precision instrument and they're like what is that is it a bomb and um it was just it's so much attention and scrutiny them tearing apart my you know sea bag for four four months of stuff packed in this suitcase and they're tearing it apart at the airport and it just made an already anxiety producing situation with a lot of question marks way more anxiety producing in addition to this whole the world has changed thing <laughs> and you know your commitment now is going to be different never did i think for one second that i would leave the academy um, I just had this awareness that uh, things would never be the same. It was just that first sea year really wrecked me. It was rough. That was my, that was really um, one of the lowest points, not only of my time at the academy, honestly, just of my life, to be honest. It was really hard. I was homesick. I was going to miss Christmas for the first time, which I did, um, Thanksgiving. It just wasn't good. My first sea year was a little rough. So anyway, though, my second sea year was awesome definitely a highlight went to some cool places so 
Um, and obviously it didn't deter me from wanting to graduate. It didn't deter me from loving the academy. I was a deck major. I was logistics and intermodal transportation. Um, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I definitely knew I did not want to sail. I also think I should mention that that whole sense of camaraderie, um, that has been something that, you know, I look back and it's really disappointing to me because of my dysfunction and because of like this isolationist behavior that I adopted, I didn't feel that sense of camaraderie. I really destroyed any chance of ever having it because that was number one. So everything else was secondary, including, you know, going on spirit missions in the middle of the night because that would disrupt my sleep or going out to the bars to hang out with my friends because that would, I, first of all, I wouldn't touch alcohol at that time, which is already an issue um, because, you know, merchant mariners are professional drinkers and I did not drink at all. <laughs> so, so it just was all things like that. You know, I really um, kind of shot myself in the foot with a lot of that stuff. Um, even running on cross country, it's a very isolating sport. It's not like I had a team of women that I could lean on. I just did my own thing. It really was just another avenue for me to continue down this road of like being dysfunctional. But again, I, I, I loved my time at the academy. I wouldn't change it for the world. And it really set me on a course in my life that I'm like pretty proud of. And I can see how the dots all connected later on. So to go into post-graduation, basically uh, the first job I got was a shoreside job. I got a job at Northrop Grumman, a defense contractor working in a cubicle and I lasted five months and 29 days exactly. I hated everything about it. Um, I was still dating my um, boyfriend at the time who eventually became my first husband. So he was a, also a King's Pointer. I was dating him still at that time. Uh, he was originally in my class and got set back due to a medical issue. So my whole focus post-graduation became how can I get a job that's close to Kings Point? So now remember, uh, Kings Point is on Long Island. So it's like only a 45 minute drive from my parents' house. So that was kind of strange, right? Like I chose an academy that was so close to my parents' house, um, which was a little bit of a reservation when I was applying, but not really because it felt like so right to me when I applied. So naturally I moved back home with my parents, right? Um, for the for the year that he was gonna be in school. I started getting these migraines. I just, my health was deteriorating. Like it just was so out of alignment. And my body was screaming that it was out of alignment. I was still eating dysfunctionally. I was still maintaining the same dysfunctional behaviors because now I'm living with my parents in a job I don't like and none of that felt right. Um, but I eventually ended up uh, leaving that job and I got a job sailing on, actually sailing, which is kind of strange <laughs> based on everything I just told you. Um, but I got a job sailing for SUNY Maritime on their training vessel, uh, the Empire State. And that job was amazing. I got a job sailing as a third mate, but also as a company officer, which meant that I was counseling, which was awesome. And I got to teach advanced navigation and, and firefighting. And I got to, um, you know, use some of my skills as a mate. But I mostly was working with the students, which was also a little strange because I had just graduated and I was younger than most of them. But uh, so, but I did that and I loved it. And I, you know, unfortunately that position only lasted like 
two to three months. I can't remember exactly how long it was like two to three months. It was a short stint because their cruises aren't that long. But then when I got off that ship, I had no idea what I was going to do. And my husband was finally graduated. He had gotten a job locally on Long Island, even though he wanted to go into the Marine Corps, which is a whole nother thing um, that ends up blowing in my fa- blowing up in my face later on. Um, but he, you know, he gets a job locally. I now get a job at the Merchant Marine Academy. So what happened was after that sailing trip, I had no idea what I was going to do. So I called the superintendent at the Merchant Marine Academy, who, if you remember, I had developed a close relationship with him because he really went to bat for me uh, in keeping me at the academy because of my weight issues. And he and I were very close. And he was like, you know, we're, we're trying to develop an academic counseling center here. Um, we're looking for someone to fulfill the position um, interim in the interim while we find someone. Uh, do you want to do you want to come and fulfill the role? Do you want to apply for the position? And I was like, oh, heck, yeah. So I went not really knowing what I was going to get into. I went to the academy, um, went on an interview and uh, got the position the same day. I was made the director of an academic counseling center right out of the Merchant Marine Academy given a budget and told to just go. And I had so much energy and so much enthusiasm that I just went went at it. I created a mentoring program. I created a tutoring program. Like I dove in so much so that after 45 days, which was what the length of my interim contract was, they offered me the full-time position. And they said, you know, on the basis of me going back to school to get a degree that would qualify me, for working in that position as the director of a counseling center of the academic counseling center. So that's what I did. I went back to school. I applied to several schools and I went back to Columbia university, um, and got a double masters in psychological counseling. So I'm super proud of my work at the academy. Um, it really like that whole role and what I accomplished there it's some of the some of my most proud moments honestly in my professional life i loved working with the students i loved interacting with the staff in that way um, i loved all the programs i created i ran summer school like, it was just amazing i made the position a federal position i got to redo the ace uh, the academic center for excellence um, twice i got to like pick out the the you know the the furniture and the whiteboards and like design the whole learning center two times while I was there instead in fact the way that I designed it right before I left is still there today and I'm so proud of that like the mentoring program still exists I wrote the handbook I mean everything about my time in that position it just like checked all the boxes and it fulfilled my maritime commitment because I was working with midshipmen um and it tapped into the psychology and counseling piece. I was going to Columbia some semesters part-time, some semesters full-time. And I just I just loved everything about that time. Um, but by the time my maritime commitment was up, I was like six years out from graduation. So at the time, my now ex-husband, he was on his own journey. Um, because he had decided to stay on Long Island, um, because I had gotten in my head that I couldn't leave and he wanted to be with me, he made all of these compromises. Without going too far down the rabbit hole with that whole situation, I'll tell you that he was just never home. Um, So he was gone. And the last year at the academy, I was working full time, doing an internship full time, going to school full time in the city, commuting both ways. 
doing a yoga teacher training and a yoga um, therapy certification and a career counseling certification. And it was great because my husband wasn't around and my way of dealing with that was just put your head down and get it done. Now, the yoga part of this is very important to the next part of the story. So through that, I found myself in a group of women, just women, 13 women. Now I'd gone from Kings Point with all these men and a very masculine environment to yoga, which was 13 women. It was very intimidating. I'm not going to lie. It was so overwhelming for me. But the yoga piece was really um, super helpful because through that yoga teacher training and through my yoga therapy training, uh, two things happened. One, for the first time, I decided I no longer wanted to be uh, thin and in control in that way. I wanted to feel strong. I wanted to feel really strong. Um, And the other thing that happened was that those women suggested to me that I try modeling. And that was like, what? (laughs) But I did it because I knew, um, not because I wanted to like, you know, be a model, but because I knew it was really scary. And I knew that there were parts of my uh, personality that were very, um, just being squashed and suppressed. Most, mostly the expression of my feminine energy, expression of any type of sexuality. At King's Point, I kind of shut myself down as a way to just keep myself small. Like that's what you do when you're trying to keep yourself like rigid and small and tiny. Um, so I did that. I, I, I got picked up by a modeling agency that I was also doing that last year. Um, all of these things that I was doing, they all culminated right when my commitment ended. And, you know, I started looking around at what I was doing at the academy. And I was like, you know, I've done this now twice. I'm already the director and I'm 27. Like, where do you go from here? Like, There was no place for me to go and to grow. Um, I also knew that I was feeling like an imposter every time I put my uniform on. It felt like a costume. It didn't feel genuine to me. I didn't really believe I was serving. In addition, my marriage uh, was kind of like falling apart. I mean, it was already, there was already a very rocky foundation, but he was never home. Also coping with the fact that there were other things in our marriage not going well without going too far into the details here. I'll just say cheating, drinking. And I was also very physically sick. And all this yoga awareness, and I started to like, I started to get more in tune with all these things, all these things I'm feeling, uh, started expressing myself. I had a safe new network of people I could connect with. Um, I think they really just built a strong foundation for what happened next. And what happened next is this. One night I rolled over in bed and I don't know why I did this, but I had put that journal that I had written all the things I didn't want in next to my bed. And One night when I was by myself, because my husband was never home, I rolled over and I opened up that journal and I read that entry. I opened up randomly to that page and that entry said, I don't want to live on Long Island. Well, I was living two minutes from my parents. I don't want to marry a local cop. Well, due to my decision to stay on Long Island, my husband decided to become a local cop. I don't want to live alone. I was alone all the time. I don't want to study business. I had studied logistics and intermodal transportation, also known as business. Um, I mean, you just... Everything that I hadn't wanted, I had created. So that's what happens when you live out of fear and you you focus on what you don't want and you don't focus on what you want. So that was like huge, huge for me. I kind of knew something needed to change. Basically, I was in survival mode the whole time. And what happens to a woman when they're in survival mode is they don't menstruate. And I'm only telling you that because it's part of the story, not because I want you to all know my 
you know, menstrual cycle. It's important because the last time I had menstruated, so here I am now 27. The last time I had menstruated was when I was 17 during Indoc. I had lost 15 pounds really fast in Indoc. I told you that. And, and then I lost another 15 pounds and I was in a lockdown survival mode for 10 years. And here I am at 27. Um, I'm having all these new awarenesses. I know something needs to change. At this point in my life, I was having trouble breathing again. Like I was starting to take medications for things because I was getting these ridiculous migraines. Like my body was really um, telling me that things were not aligned. So uh, I decided to go to the doctor to address this whole menstruating issue. Um, And the doctor looked at me straight in the face and he made me repeat after him that I would never menstruate again and that I would be on birth control for the rest of my life. Now, again, go back to my origin story. That is a no-go. Medications, medications for life, you telling me how my body operates and what I can and cannot do, like that was just a absolutely not. So, I mean, I said it because he made me say it, but then I was thinking in my head, like, buddy, listen, you don't know who I am. This is unacceptable. So he then told me after some testing that um, that I had osteoporosis at 27, which, you know, makes sense. I had li- lived a life where I was trying to make myself small. I was super rigid. I was dry. I had no personality because I lived a life of isolation. I mean, everything. It all makes sense. Your body is a reflection of your emotions. So everything that I was experiencing in my body made total sense, but it was absolutely unacceptable and I knew something needed to change. And the thing that made me finally pull the trigger was when a man walked into my life and he gave me a hug. And I know this sounds absolutely ridiculous, but you know, we all have, we all have these things that build over time and like the osteoporosis thing and the, you know, the yoga and this foundation that I had set. Well, this man walked into my life and he gave me a hug and he was a very intuitive man and he refused to let go of me until I just would relax. And That hug lasted two hours. And when I finally relaxed, the words that popped into my head were, oh my gosh, I feel safe. And the next thing that popped into my head was, oh my gosh, I don't feel safe in my marriage. And that was it. In the span of a week, I filed for divorce. I gave my ex-husband pretty much everything for the most part. I left my PhD program because at that point I started, had started a PhD program at Columbia University. I uh, bought a plane ticket to Brazil and I um, quit my job at Kings Point and started over. Uh, I didn't really have much of a plan going to Brazil. I was going to volunteer um, at a yoga retreat center where I was going to be working with the people that trained me in yoga therapy. Um, but that was only a three month stint. Um, I really didn't know what was going to happen after that. And I could tell you that the things that I was most scared of were like medical insurance and, you know, what am I going to do to make money when this is over? And I had no idea. Um, but those things, the fear, the fears that I had around those questions, um, I was more scared for my life staying in the situation I had created than I was with the unknowns of those questions. So I took a leap of faith. I flew to Brazil. Um, My primary goal there was to heal. And I created a bunch of different things that I did to do that during my time there. 
Um, I committed to getting off of every medication. I committed to uh, being with people while I was there. Um, And the whole goal really was to get to the root of this eating issue and to forgive myself from having to get a divorce. So like I said, I did a whole bunch of things while I was there um, to do that. But I can tell you that by the end of the three months, uh, my two yoga therapy teachers looked at me and said, you're not ready to go back. You're not done yet. Um, And they were absolutely correct. So I decided to stay for three more months. Um, I flew from Southern Brazil living in the mountains, which is very grounding, to Northern Brazil living right on the beach, which is like emotion and flow. And sure enough, the first day that I got to Northern Brazil, um, I can remember the exact moment when I finally, when things finally clicked. I was laying in this beautiful healing lake with all these people around me that had known to grow and love me and supported me. I was watching sunset over these beautiful palm trees and the words like, I created this, popped into my head. And if I could create this, how could I be so bad? And I actually felt the shame of my divorce lift. And I felt the weight of my eating struggles lift and an openness occurred. And I just, I felt ready. I felt uh, like a totally different person. And the next three months in Brazil were just fun. Honestly, like I learned so much about myself, about how to be a yoga therapist, how to be a counselor, um, how to be present, how to enjoy life without counting things down because King's Point is all about counting down to days and counting. It was the first time I was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know how many days till the end of this because it was just incredible. Anyway, it had to end. I flew back to New York and um, and needed to figure it out. And while I was in Brazil, uh, the one thing that started happening was all of these students that I had worked with at the academy, um, they started reaching out to me saying like, hey, you know, you really helped me at the academy. Would you be willing to work with me now as I transition into a new job or I, you know, I'm having issues with my relationships and um, man, I was like all in. So, so I started calling myself a life coach at that time. Um, I was technically a counselor, but I, you know, back then there weren't many life coaches. unlike now where everybody calls himself a life coach or a coach. Uh, but back then I thought I was being clever <laughs> and, uh, I started coaching people, uh, virtually way back when, and, uh, been doing that for like, oh, 10 years now. Um, been counseling for 15 coaching virtually for over 10. Um, and I do that with people, all over the world. Um, I'll say that when I got back from Brazil, um, I also committed to the fact that even though I was going to be a coach, um, that I firmly believe that if you're going to be working with people, counseling them or coaching them in any capacity, uh, you have to be living your own life. Because if you're not living your own life, and what I mean by that is like pushing yourself in a variety of ways, both professionally and personally, it's really hard to guide other people and it's really easy to lose perspective. So in addition to being a coach and a counselor, I have done a slew of random things. So I've lived all over the country. 
I have been the blog managing editor uh, for the oldest psychology website for over eight years. Um, and through that, I have learned to build websites. I have learned to code. I have done editing and writing. Um, I have traveled across the country in my car uh, over 12 times. Uh, the first time was for six months by myself. Uh, and I worked out of coffee shops along the way. Um, I have done everything from owning a bakery that specialized in little little gourmet miniature pies and um which was super fun but i shut that down eventually because it wasn't really what i wanted to do like what i want to do is to coach and to counsel people and i do all these other things to um to grow so that i can be good at what i primarily do and uh, i can tell you too just to go back a little bit that when i got back from brazil i did menstruate again and uh i've been menstruating ever since and just so you know listen i had a baby last year so that doctor was wrong um i had a, i have a beautiful healthy baby girl i met my husband along the way with all of these adventures um he actually got in the car with me during one of these adventures and he uh he and i run events all over the country retreats for people um so that's super fun um yeah it's just been a journey ever since so how do I currently feel about my decision to attend an academy? I wouldn't change it for the world. It was tough. Uh, it was, you know, what I needed to do, though, to bring my life eventually into balance. I needed to swing the other extreme of how I was brought into this world. So I was brought into this world feeling really out of control. And I needed to swing all the way to the other side of, you know, total rigidness, total like lockdown survival mode to feel in control. And it was through yoga and learning how to breathe on my own and control my own breath. It was through my work with emotional expression as a model. Um, it was through finding a support network. It was through rebuilding my own foundation that I was really able to launch my life onto a whole new trajectory. And that could not have happened without that other experience of my time at the academy and all the stuff I had to go through. So I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, what's next for me? Um, well, on to the next adventure, I suppose. Uh, you know, launching this podcast has been a blast. Um, that's been super fun. I really do hope to turn this sorority into something special. I will continue to coach and counsel. Uh, if you look on my personal website, you'll see that I don't really maintain that. There's the irony there. Um, but it's because this is what I'm supposed to be doing, coaching and counseling. So it just works. I don't need to like go over the top, but um, I have been challenged by my husband to put out my own stuff. So I'll probably start doing that on this podcast and in other ways, because um, I do think that's a next a next step for me is to start, you know, building off of my professional and clinical experience and like getting my message out there a little bit more to help more people. So, um, so I'm super pumped to do that. I hope uh, to eventually get back to doing retreats and events around the country uh, with the sorority and with just you know, with my husband, um, traveling, raising my little daughter, 
Uh, motherhood's a lot harder than I ever thought, <laughs> not gonna lie, but loving that new challenge because I think that also helps me in what I do professionally. Um, it's a huge hurdle for me personally. Us service academy women like to be in control and parenthood teaches you right from the minute the baby is born that you are not in control. <laughs> so, so this is next level challenge for me. Um, super excited to do that. And um, yeah, and do I have any parting words for listeners? Perhaps a key message to my fellow Service Academy sisters. Yeah, choose yourself or lose yourself. Because if you don't choose yourself, who will? You know? Uh, and every single person listening to this podcast has had a moment in their life where they know that they're doing something out of alignment. If that's you and you know that something is not correct in your current life. Maybe it's a relationship or a career. Um, I challenge you to choose yourself because if you know it's not in alignment, the only other option is to lose yourself. But when you, when you don't choose to honor what you know to be true, that awareness doesn't just go away. That awareness comes out in other ways. Maybe it's a dysfunctional behavior, an addiction, um, weight gain. Um, it could also be illness or sickness. Um, it's held somewhere in your body. Uh, it's, it's shows up in your life. And unfortunately, like that energy has to go somewhere. So choose yourself or lose yourself because the only way to, um, not choose yourself is to suppress what you know. So, um, that is what I'm going to say is to be brave and to choose yourself. And if not you, who, if not now, when, right? So, All right. And one random fun fact about me. Well, uh, that would be, let's see. Um, when I did my first road trip, I did it by myself. It lasted about six months. Um, I drove all around the country and the whole mission was to really understand the concept of home and how people define the concept of home. And along the way, um, I really didn't have a plan. I was working at a coffee shops and coaching along the way. And, um, but I reconnected with a lot of my classmates and that was also part of my mission. And it was really fascinating to see how people live and the lifestyles they have. And it was just wonderful reconnecting with everybody, especially since now you know my story and how I really felt like I had missed out on some of that. It was just super cool to see them in their own element and see how they had evolved. Um, And I learned a ton about what it means when we say the word home. Um, It was just an awesome adventure and uh, I got to hike all over the place. So yeah, that is one random fun fact about me. Um, And where can people reach me? Anywhere. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. I'm at the Service Academy Sorority. I have my own personal website under Victoria Giganti. Uh, I'm currently Victoria Adams, but I was Victoria Giganti when I was at the Merchant Marine Academy. So um, my my coaching name is Victoria Giganti, uh, but my current name is Victoria Adams. So you'll find me at Victoria Adams on most things. Um, And yeah, just reach out. Anyone who knows me knows I'll answer. So... Um, I guess that's it. I hope I didn't bore you too much. Um, now, you know, your host a little bit more intimately, I guess. (laughs) And, uh, I really appreciate your support with this podcast and what I'm doing with the sorority. And 
I want you to know that I now know that I can't do this alone. So if you're interested in being involved in any way and want to connect with me um, for any reason, uh, I'm here for you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.